Remember at the time he was an old man, uh, late in his years. In fact, the proconsul, because of his age, uh, urged him, uh, said unto him, Swear, and I will release thee, reproach Christ. And of course, Polycarp refused to do that. But I love his answer, and I want us to think about his answer. He says, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And Polycarp was burned at the stake as an old man. Uh, you see, Polycarp had a confidence in Christ, a confidence that never let him down, that was always there. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul has the same confidence and why they have that, why they serve Jesus. So take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, the first chapter. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Let's stand as we read these two verses this morning. Verse 11, Paul says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let us pray. Father, we marvel at Paul's faith, his assurance, his confidence. And Lord, we'd ask you that you would draw us close to you, that our faith would be increased, that our trust in you would grow greater, our walk closer, as we commit everything to you that we have. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, verse 11, we see Paul, an ambassador of Christ. Paul says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. When a nation becomes unhappy with another nation, when they're displeased with some action that that nation did, one of the things that they'll do is that they will recall their ambassador. That is a sign of protest and a sign that you're unhappy with the policies and leadership of that nation. You recall the ambassador and bring them back home and give them further instruction and messages for when they go back. But it's a, a symbolic thing of displeasure. What's interesting, God does the complete opposite. He takes us who are sinful people who have displeased him, and what does he do? He sends an ambassador out to us. Of course, he sent the greatest ambassador in Jesus Christ, but he also sent the Apostle Paul, and he sends us also as ambassadors. We see here, Paul is called to be a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. So we had three necessities laid on him. He was a preacher. Word used here means a herald. And in ancient times, a herald was the official messenger of either the king or the emperor. And that message was treated with great respect. He was a man who came with a message to give to others. It came 
from a, one higher up in authority. And the Christian is the person who brings the message of Christ to his fellow man. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I taking Jesus to other people? Am I being the herald that I need to be? Paul was a preacher and a herald, and, and we, his servants, are the same. He was also an apostle. And that means one who is sent out, an envoy, an ambassador, here in official sense. So in other words, Paul didn't speak for himself. He spoke for the one who sent him. You know, when an ambassador goes to another nation, uh, they don't speak their own uh, policies or their own opinions. They give the opinion of the leadership that sent them, in our case, the President of the United States. They need to be official representatives of our nation and the office of the President. They represent him and us. So Paul represented Christ now as an apostle. Now, apostles are a select group. They were eyewitnesses of Christ, chosen personally by God and Christ. And when the 12 died, plus Paul, that office ceased. There are no apostles today. Uh, that, that is gone. So contrary to what the Mormon church may say, there is no more. That office is done. It was a special office Christ instituted, a select group. They represented Jesus with great authority. And they wrote a good portion of our Bible, New Testament. Now, we don't have that title today. We don't have that authority. But we do represent Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus pleased with how I am representing him? Am I being the ambassador that I need to be? Paul says he was also a teacher. William Barclay, he says, really the teaching task may be the most important. Because everyone here has a teaching ministry. You've heard me say this before. Every one of us here is teaching someone else. You're teaching that husband or wife. You're teaching that son or daughter. You may be teaching mom and dad. You may be teaching a brother and sister. You may be teaching someone else in Christ, a fellow Christian, by your example and by your walk. We have a teaching ministry. At your place of work, you got a teaching ministry. You're sending a message. You're teaching others something about Christ. So realize we have that teaching ministry. And don't neglect it. So as a herald, we need to be bold to speak of Jesus to others. As an ambassador, we need to be obedient and honor our Lord. And as a teacher, let our faith speak with clarity about Jesus. So we see Paul the ambassador. We also see Paul confident in Christ. Look at verse 12 of 2 Timothy. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
Dr. John MacArthur says, Faithful ministry in the Lord's service is bittersweet. It brings suffering and joy, disappointment and gratitude. And that was Paul's experience. That's going to be our experience. Both of those things. Suffering and joy. In fact, uh, Paul suffered many things for Jesus. His calling was a calling to suffer for Christ. In Acts chapter 9, we find the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And if you remember, he's going to the road on Damascus when Christ confronts him and asks Paul, he'll get his name changed, but originally he was Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he'll confront Paul, and Paul recognized who Jesus Christ is at that moment. He'll also be blinded in that experience. And after that, Jesus will tell Ananias, one of his disciples, that he is to go to the Apostle Paul and pray for him. And I love Ananias when God tells him to go do that. He says, Lord, do you know who this man is? This guy persecutes people. He has authority to arrest them, put them in prison. As if God did not know who he was. God was very aware of that. And it's interesting what God, how, how the Lord answers Ananias. He says, go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. There it is. He was commissioned to suffer for Jesus Christ. And, and Paul did. Why don't you turn your Bibles back to 2 Corinthians. Don't lose your place. But back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, this is a chapter we looked at in the January Bible study we did on Sunday nights. The winter Bible study. Isn't that good to know? Next Sunday is officially spring. I'm excited about that. Excited to see a little blue sky. All right. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 23. Here Paul says... He's going after those who have attacked his leadership. And he points out to the Corinthian believers, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters and perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, 
in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are outside, without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. He suffered for Christ. And there we see a pretty extensive list of all the things Paul went through. But here's what Paul found out. Paul was never disappointed in Jesus Christ. Through all those experiences, he was never disappointed. Like Polycarp would say, 80 and 6 years he served Jesus Christ and he has never disappointed him. Never let him down. And Paul found the same. As we look at verse 12, going back to 2 Timothy, Paul tells us why he's not disappointed. For I know whom I have believed. And let's just walk through this verse. Paul knows the one he believes. And that word knows carries a thought of uh, certainty. It means to have absolute knowledge beyond doubt. He knows. No hesitation. It's a word used often of uh, God in the New Testament about God's knowledge. It's used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of. See, God knows that. It's a word used about Jesus and his knowledge. In John 6, where Jesus will uh, say, there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He knew, no doubt. So it, it's a strong word of affirmation. Paul knew the one he believed in. No fragment of doubt. And then whom I have believed. The emphasis on Christ. You see, salvation is in a person. When we come as sinners to Jesus Christ, we are placing our faith in a person. Why lead someone to Jesus Christ? I don't go through a list of doctrines. Do you believe this? Do you believe this doctrine? Do you believe that? I center on Christ. Do you believe Jesus Christ? That he came and died and rose again? Are you willing to put your faith in him? That's the question. And that's what Paul did. I know whom I have believed. And I like that word believed. The tense of it tells of a past action with present day results. So that could be translated, I have believed with a present result that my faith is a firmly settled one. I believed in the past and my faith is firmly settled because of that. It's like the hammering of a nail through a board and then clinching it on the other side. Maybe you've done that. Have you ever tried to strip nails out of a 2x4 and a 2x6 where you take a big, uh, Ron, what size 
penny or those big nails? Do you remember? 16, okay, or an eighteen? yeah. They're, those are the big ones. And you pound those through those boards, and they get on the other side, and you pound them over. Those are hard to pull out. In fact, some of them you may not get out. And that was, that's what Paul's talking about. His faith was clenched like a nail, pounded through and bent over on the other side so it's not going to be yanked out. That's the kind of faith he had. It was immovable. You're not going to budge him. And then with that, he said, I am persuaded. In other words, he is fixed in position. Immovable. That word persuaded is used by Paul again to describe the Old Testament heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Where he begins that list. And then he says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were persuaded. They were immovable. They staked their eternity on God and the promises he gave. And Paul is persuaded. It's the word used by Paul in Romans 8.38. Where he says, I am persuaded. I am convinced immovable that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was persuaded. Could not be budged. And we have so many going out today among Christians, asking themselves, what do other people think? What is society saying? Maybe I need to think the same way. They're not persuaded. Don't fall for that. Paul didn't. He says, I know whom I believed. And I am persuaded. Immovable. That he's going to be able to do what I've committed to him. Get an immovable faith. Unbudgeable. It's what we see in Paul. It's what we see in Polycarp. It's what we see in Martin Luther. It's what we see in the 21 Coptic Christians that were executed. They were persuaded. They knew who they believed. And they stayed with it. And then Paul says that he is able.
But he's able to keep that which I've committed against him that day. That's speaking of the ability of Christ, his power, his might. It speaks of his innate power. It's what the disciples recognized on the Sea of Galilee when a great storm came up and they were fearing for their lives and they went and had to wake Jesus up and, and said, Jesus, save us. Don't you care? We're going to perish. And if you remember, Jesus just got up and said a couple words. Peace, be still. The wind quit and the waves became calm. And the disciples, when they saw that take place, Mark tells us they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were beginning to grasp that Jesus had the innate power of God. And if he had that innate power, he is God standing there on a ship in the Sea of Galilee. And that's what Paul saw. He is able. And he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him. You know, keep is that wonderful military term to guard, to keep secure. It speaks of a soldier that's been trusted to even give his life to protect something. And Paul trusted his absolute security in God. He is able to keep. He is able to guard. You know, this is why we talk about eternal security. Who's watching over my salvation? Jesus Christ is. He's going to guard it with his own life. No one's going to get through him as my guard and take me away. Committed. Speaks of a deposit. Made in a bank. Committing something to trust. And Paul made his deposit with Christ. It was a big one. He gave everything to Christ. His heart, his strength, his mind, his will, his life, his ministry, his eternity, he deposited all in Christ. And Paul was confident that he's able, Christ will keep that commitment. He'll guard that unto him against that day. You see, there's a coming day when we're going to stand before Christ. And Paul in chapter 4, he's going to speak of that in verse 8 where he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all men, all them that are also that love his appearing. So someday we're all going to stand before Christ and get the completion of what we have entrusted to him. Paul was Sure, he's going to get there. 
and it's going to be fulfilled. Now, in, in financial advisors, they will tell you if, what money you do have. You don't put it all in one place. You need to invest some here, and invest some in this place, and, and, and some here. Uh, so if anything happens, you don't lose the whole thing. But Paul here, he took everything he had and invested it all in one person, Christ. How much are we investing with Christ? Paul gave it all. He didn't hold back one little bit. A lot of times we might say to ourselves, well, I'll give Christ part of my heart. But I want to keep this part for myself. I'm going to give him part of a week. I'm going to give him maybe part of a day. Sunday. Lord, I'll let you have Sunday morning. But I'm going to keep the rest for me. I'm going to give maybe part of my money. I'm keeping for myself the rest. Lord, I'll give you a part of my time. But I'm going to hang on to the rest for me. How much are we investing and depositing with Christ? Are we saying, Lord, I'm committing all in? It's all yours. Now I'm just going to be your steward. You tell me what to do. That's what Paul did. I'm going to bring our team back up. Peter and Eric and Sarah. We're going to sing the old rugged cross. And that's what Paul looked at. He looked at a Savior who gave himself for us. You, you think about it. Christ never held back anything for us. God the Father held nothing back. He gave his best, the only begotten. Paul writes to Romans that if he did not spare his own son, will he not also give us all things with him? Jesus gave us everything and he wants us to give everything we have to him now I don't know what part you're trying to hang on to but God does and he'll come and ask for it and maybe today you just need to come Lord I'm going to give it to you whatever it may be let's stand as we sing the old rugged cross